only the one whose safety deemed such destruction. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. for a child. Wherever I go, he goes. So I've heard. gentlemen boys and girls cats and dogs everything in between get them all in here welcome to the underground episode seven of pop culture underground i am jordan your host and producer and this week we'll be getting into a lot of big things a lot of big things it was a huge week for pop culture fans huge week i I would actually argue that it is possibly the biggest week we have had since DC Fandom, and man, it was good. We got a lot of good stuff, got a lot of good trailers, got a lot of good news, got a lot of good information, just a whole lot of good stuff for us geeks. Baby Yoda making his return. But if this is your first time listening to Pop Culture Underground, I would like to give you some information on the show. This is a 30-minute to one-hour show on all things pop culture news, reviews, media, and more. We do reviews, we go over trailers, we talk about games, we do it all here on Pop Culture Underground in a very quick fashion. Now, we do have spoiler episodes where we get deep into any movie, any TV show, the boys being the most recent one, any video game, anything I deem worthy enough to actually get really deep into. Now, once again, I am Jordan, your host and producer, and you can follow me and the show on social media, all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at PopCUnderground, and you can send an email to the show at PopCUnderground at gmail.com. You can also hit up the website at the bottom of the show notes. All right, guys, let's do it. Let's dive into what we are going to be getting into in this episode. We have three segments we get into on each episode here on Pop C Underground, and those three segments are Marvel Weekly, DC Weekly, and Pop C Weekly, and there is some asshole driving by my house right now with this bass up super, super loud like he's a cool kid in the early 2000s. What is wrong with you, dude? Get out of here! We're going to be kicking off this episode with Marvel Weekly, with the MCU reportedly casting Avengers villain Kang. I got an ice cream truck going on right now. What is going on? 
MCU reportedly casting Avengers villain Kane the Conqueror, like I was saying, in the Ant-Man movie. Now, that has not been confirmed, but who is playing him possibly has been confirmed. We have a new lead role cast in that movie. Also, Sony is adding a new Spider-Verse live-action TV series. It is in development. What character could that be focused around? I'm going to tell you right here, over on the DC side in DC Weekly, we're going to kick things off with the Snyder Cut. Junkie XL shared a nice little teaser of the score he is putting together for the Snyder Cut of Justice League. That was very exciting to hear. We'll be going over that. Young Justice Season 4 is official and it has a name. Donna Troy may be returning in Titan Season 3. What? What the? You know, I posted something about this on social media and I was very fired up about it and it kind of kind of let my passion through and my feelings about the ending of that Titan Season 2. And if you guys listen to this show, you know my feelings about the ending of Titan Season 2. I did not like it, but go back and listen to that episode for more on that. We have a cool little team-up scene, a, a little clip, a, uh, a picture actually, that was shared from the prop designer of Titans of Batman and the two Robins teaming up in a would-be Season 1 finale that could have been... And then, for the main event, we will be hitting up Pop C Weekly to discuss the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer, the first one. Baby Yoda is back, guys. Baby Yoda is back. We also got the Dune trailer to go over. I have a very quick review of Raised by Wolves and Class Action Park, both on HBO Max. And Zelda Breath of the Wild prequel has been announced. Xbox Series X and Series S were revealed with prices and release dates, and Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, the multiplayer was revealed. We gotta talk about that. So, with all of that good stuff said, I would first like to apologize that it has been one full week since I had an episode of Popsy Weekly out. I had one hell of a week. One hell of a week. We had another pregnancy scare with my wife. Everything's okay. Don't worry. Little Jordan, the son of Earth, is still coming. Don't worry, it's all good, it's all good. Still, guys, I got about one or two weeks left until we find out if it's going to be a son of Krypton or Earth or a daughter of Krypton. I do not know yet, and I am extremely, extremely excited to find out which one it is. You know, I joked with my wife a bunch about, you know what, if it's a boy, we're done. No more kids. I got the two kids I inherited like a year or two ago. How do I not even know how long? I'm a terrible dad, terrible dad. But uh, I told her, man, if we have a son... We do not need to try again. We are done with the kids. That is it. If it is a girl, though, we're going to have to go at it again. We're just going to have to go at it again. And some people say, well, Jordan, that is mighty sexist of you. You know what? It's my damn baby. So shut the hell up. Get the hell away and get off my yard. You know what? I, You know, you, you want to come up in my house? You want to come up in my business and tell me that I'm being sexist or not if I want to have a daughter or a boy? You know what? Get the out of here. Just get out of here, Karen. Oh, and by the way, that uh, get off the yard thing, that is a that is a deep... Scott Shooty pull from the old Supercast days. If you did not listen, I'm sorry you didn't get that. We will move along. Try not to have any inside jokes here. Who, who would I have him with? Myself? I'm doing this by myself. Anyways, my son started digital learning last week. He entered the Matrix, and now he's, you know, off doing that stuff now. So it, it was one hell of a week. A lot of things I'm not even mentioning because you probably don't care. So enough of that nonsense. Marvel Weekly, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Marvel Weekly, where we are going to kick things off with... Ant-Man 3 has reportedly cast Lovecraft Country star Jonathan Majors in the upcoming MCU film. 
Now, Jonathan Majors has been on the rise for quite some time now, having earned raves for his performance in last year's indie darling, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Most notably, though, he appeared in Spike Lee's Vietnam drama, The Five Bloods, but he can currently be seen on HBO's Lovecraft Country. Great show, by the way. Wasn't quite sure, and and I was going to do a review for this one, but I didn't feel like I knew enough about the source material and the topic at hand in that show, whatever, you know, the million topics that that show's covering. But uh, I I just didn't feel like I I knew enough about it to to quite review it. Uh, However, it is very, very good. I wasn't quite sure about it after it took that, almost that anthology approach. But uh, I'm coming back around on it because, my God, is it a beautiful and awesome show. And he plays Atticus Freeman in that show, and he has been on the rise for quite some time. Now... According to Deadline, Jonathan Majors has signed on for one of the lead roles in Ant-Man 3 alongside Paul Rudd and Wasp actress Evangeline Lilly. Now, exactly who he is playing has not been officially revealed, but sources are noting that he is likely playing Kang the Conqueror. They also say that while there could be a twist to the character, he is positioned right now to be one of the main villains of Ant-Man 3. Now, in the comics, the time-traveling Kang is one of the Avengers' most formidable enemies. And I think we talked about this on my old podcast a lot about how where could they go after Thanos and one of the main one of the main routes that we talked about Marvel taking after Thanos would be Kang the Conqueror. It makes a ton of sense considering the time travel aspects of Avengers Endgame and Ant-Man himself with the Quantum Realm. I also pointed out back in my old podcast when we were watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, there was a scene where they were going through the the Quantum Realm, excuse me. And you can see this, like, city. I mean, if you pause it and look really closely, it clearly resembles a city. And I don't think that was a mistake by any means. Marvel does not make mistakes or do anything like that without paying it off. I guess sometimes they do, right? But uh, we won't talk about that. But what I'm mentioning here is that city could be where Kang is residing right now. And Scott's journey through the Quantum Realm could have somehow woke him up. Maybe had something to do with Thanos. I don't know. But I think... He is not just going to be an Ant-Man 3 villain. I hope not. He, he's a huge villain in the comics. He brings a lot of stuff with him. There's tons of things you could do with that. And I think if you go back and look at that city, that could give you a little bit of an idea where he could be coming from. Now, I thought that would actually pay off in Avengers Endgame. It did not. But that does not mean it can't pay off here with Kang the Conqueror. Now, if he is playing Kang the Conqueror, I would love to give you a quick little backstory of who Kang the Conqueror is. So do not be disappointed or ashamed in yourself if you do not know who Kang the Conqueror is. Unless you know decades of comic backstory and Marvel lore, you're probably not going to know a whole lot about this guy, as he has not really been used to his full extent recently in Marvel Comics. He has showed up, do not get me wrong, and showed up in pivotal ways. But they have not really dived into Kang the Conqueror quite like they did decades ago. Now, Marvel's Kang the Conqueror is an interdimensional, time-hopping warlord who, true to his name, conquers entire worlds and timelines for the sport of it. Kang is able to win in battle using advanced weaponry and technology from a ravaged future he conquered in battles against earlier and more primitive civilians. No one quite knows how Kang is under his flamboyant battle armor, his helmet and mask, so really if Jonathan Majors you know, was going to take on this role... It's not one that necessarily requires him to appear on screen showing his face, even though I would see where they would want to do that. A lot of these actors want their faces out there. They don't want to be covered up, but that's actually becoming less and less relevant. A lot of actors are showing up under heavy, heavy makeup and prosthetics. Just look at Colin Farrell as the Penguin in the Batman trailer. 
I mean, shit, you can't even tell who that guy is. And this is actually where the key lies here, because in Marvel Comics lore, King the Conqueror, he's not just King. The man who wears Kang's armor is actually a mysterious figure who has ended up filling several key roles throughout the history of Marvel Comics lore based on different points in his life and different points in time that he's traveled to. So if you think about it that way, Jonathan Majors could actually get the chance to play several characters in the MCU. How cool would that be with other actors potentially joining him and sharing the role? So check this out. In his time, Kang has taken on several alter egos throughout history. In his early time travel ventures, he landed in ancient Egypt, where he used his future technology to establish himself as the pharaoh known as Ramatut. Kang's presence in Egypt during these early years of his life actually helped to catalyze some key events in other Marvel franchises. Ramatut helped shape the Fantastic Four in their travels through time, and he helped spark the evolution of Marvel's first mutant. That means that as an actor in the role, Jonathan Major's Rama Tut could be influential in building a suitable framework for the MCU to introduce both the Fantastic Four and X-Men franchise. This is how they could do it. Now, would they do it through an Ant-Man movie is the key question here. Reed Richards was trending on Twitter after this news, and I do not believe that Marvel would introduce the Fantastic Four or Reed Richards in an, in an Ant-Man movie. I mean, come on, I just don't see it. But... But a hint through Kang's past, possibly, could set it up for sure, or an end credit scene could set it up through here. I mean, Kang has also been the Scarlet Centurion. After coming to the 20th century, Kang shedded his Ramatut persona after meeting Dr. Doom, and instead designed an armor suit to become the Scarlet Centurion. He forced the Avengers to fight alternate reality versions of themselves, a story that would definitely be fun for the MCU. Then, Immortus... When Kang ages into an older man, he stops trying to conquer and instead becomes a scholar of time. Eventually, he is recruited into serving the Timekeepers, the Masters of Time, from a base outside of time called Limbo, which people that watch New Mutants should be familiar with that. It's the discovery that he is fated to become Immortus and that revulsion that spurns Kang to renew his commitment to war and conquer. Now, it'll be interesting to see if the MCU embraces the Immortus character along with Kang, and if Jonathan Majors would wear aged makeup in that role at all, or if an older actor would take the Immortus role. Iron Lad, a young adolescent teenage version of Kang, eventually travels to the present day and forms the Young Avengers team. They could go that route. Nathaniel Richards, the man behind Kang, is actually a 31st century scholar who believes... He is the descendant of Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. It is Doctor Doom's experimental time travel tech that allows this man to start traversing time back to ancient Egypt to become Ramatut in the first place to begin this chain of all of these different roles. Now, the cause and effect of Kang, as you can see, the role of Kang isn't just a big bad villain like Thanos was in the MCU Infinity Saga. Kang is a very complicated figure that is both a warmongering time travel villain, political leader, hero, and cosmic influencer. <laughs> Listen to that. If you fold in the Fantastic Four, Young Avengers, and X-Men connections, Kang also presents some mind-bending cause and effect twist in the larger Marvel saga. Jonathan Major's MCU version of Kang would have ties to more Marvel movies and series than Thanos ever did or could. Now, based on this casting news, it will be interesting to see if Kang will be introduced in the Loki Disney Plus series, as has been rumored, if this is who Jonathan Majors is even playing. Remember, it has not been confirmed, 
But after all of what I just said, just think of the possibilities that Marvel could do with Kang and all the spinoffs and all the stories that they can inject into other areas of the MCU. It's mind-bending to think about it. And that is the way right there that they could follow up to Endgame because that, that was a big problem that I thought about. Like, how are they going to top Endgame? How are they going to do this again? Well, I think Marvel answered by showing we're not going to quite do that quite yet. We're just going to reboot it all and then we're going to build up again to another bigger event. How could they do that? Kang the Conqueror and all of the roles that he has been, all of the roles that Jonathan Majors could play because this could be a multi-deal for Jonathan Majors. He could be showing up in many different Marvel productions. Sony's Spider-Verse is adding a new live-action TV series to their new franchise, and that show will be centered around, dun-dun-dun, Silk. Silk is coming to the small screen this time, as a new report from Variety is reporting Sony Pictures TV is working on a live-action television show centered around Silk. Currently, the show appears to be in early development, but it has nabbed Phil Lord and Chris Miller as executive producers so far. Now, according to the new report, Sony is developing the live-action series with Lauren Moon in talks to write the show. The writer is best known for her work on Good Trouble, as well as Atypical. She is also Korean-American, so fans do believe that Moon could give better insight into the star's multicultural upbringing. Now, as mentioned, Lord Miller are set to be executive producers under their shared production banner. They will join Amy Pascal and overseeing the project as Sony Pictures Television also lends its production assistance. At this time, no network or service is attached to the show, but Variety is reporting that Amazon is interested in hosting Sony's lineup of Marvel TV shows. Now, I think it is evident that it is very important who picks that show up because that could set the tone for the show in general. I mean, a show on Amazon Prime isn't quite likely to be a show very much like a show on Disney Plus would be necessarily, or a more drastic comparison would be the CW compared to like FX. You know, if you're putting your show on FX, you can do a lot more than you can do if you're putting it on CW. So I think it's very important where shows land and who's going to be hosting them, especially now that streaming services are more popular than cable TV. I mean, I don't know anybody now who still has cable. I, I just don't. So, are we excited to get a Silk TV show? Here's my answer. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. And a funny thing to add here, Silk's real-life name is Cindy Moon. The same last name as Lauren Moon, who we just talked about, who they are trying to pin to write the show. I mean, how much of a quinky-dink is that, right? Now, if you don't know anything about Silk, she was actually just recently introduced in the comics back in 2014 by Dan Slott in his The Amazing Spider-Man run. Now, she was originally in a story called Original Sin, and this kicked off with the death of a cosmic being called the Watcher, and fragments of his knowledge were shared to various heroes. Spider-Man learned that the radioactive spider that bit him had not simply died afterwards as he believed. Instead, it had bit another one of his classmates, Cindy Moon. She was approached by a wealthy industrialist named Ezekiel, a spider totem who understood the mystic potential of those granted superpowers. He believed she was a being unique in all of the multiverse, the queen, and he persuaded Silk to hide herself away for over a decade. A horrified Spider-Man broke her out, giving Cindy her freedom. It turned out to be a mistake, though, triggering the Spider-Verse event. 
Now, freed from the bunkers she had lived in all her life, Silk used her natural webbing to weave spontaneous spider costumes and go to war against Marvel's various supervillains. Her family had disappeared during her time in the bunker, and Cindy was forced to compromise her morality in order to track them down, even working for Black Cat at the time. In an amusing inversion of the typical Spider-Man status quo, her greatest champion was actually J. Jonah Jameson, who insisted she was the real deal and refused to doubt her even when she committed crimes in order to earn Black Cat's trust. Silk eventually learned her parents had become pawns of a criminal named Fang, who had claimed that she could cure their daughter, but was actually using them to find out how to steal Silk's powers. So there's a little bit of an origin story for Silk. Now, this has been tweaked with and changed, as most characters have in the comics, through the, what is it, six years now that she's been around. This has changed. But for the most part, she's more of an anti-hero than anything. And I, for one, love Silk's costume. It is one of my favorite Spider-Man costumes, period. Now, that'll do it for Marvel Weekly this episode. Let's head up DC Weekly. Alright, I'm going to kick off this episode's DC Weekly by talking about the teaser score that Junkie XL had posted for the Snyder Cut version of Justice League. Now, I am very, very excited for the Snyder Cut, as you could probably tell through my previous episodes, but Junkie XL finally... Finishing up his score for this movie is almost even more exciting than the movie itself because what he did for the BVS Batman vs. Superman score was absolutely phenomenal. No matter what you think about that movie, the score is awesome, and I will stand by that to this day. I think Junkie XL is one of the best in the business, especially when it comes to scoring movies, especially when it comes to scoring superhero movies, and especially when it comes to scoring DC movies just because of his work on BVS. I, I thought that was fantastic. And even though Hans Zimmer created like one of the best scores ever in Man of Steel, I don't know if it tops my score for BVS. I love the score in BVS. I think it is so good. Now, the more I think about it, the Hans Zimmer Man of Steel score is, man, it's, it, it, it's legendary, guys. It is legendary. But Thinking about Junkie XL's score on BBS, and just thinking about the scores in Man of Steel and BBS in general, Junkie XL's score, the, the little teaser that he released for the Justice League, the Snyder Cut, sounds so much more in line with those two movies than anything Danny Elfman did for his score in the original Justice League, which I did not like. Now, I liked parts of it, like the old Superman, you know, the old school Superman theme, the old school Batman theme, how he incorporated those into it. That was cool. But he barely had any time at all to work on that. I mean, he was thrown in that thing last minute. So you can't fault him. I don't understand why they ever took Junkie XL off of that project when they changed things. I just don't get it. But if you have a chance, go on the Popsy Underground Twitter feed and go watch the Justice League Snyder Cut trailer that was edited to fit this score teaser. It is so awesome. It gives that trailer a second wind as if it needed one. It didn't, but it did anyways. And oh my God, is that score teaser incredible. Score teaser, teaser score, however you want to say that. I don't care. It's freaking amazing. It sounds incredible. It sounds epic. It sounds like a Zack Snyder superhero movie. Whether you like that or not, the little teaser part that he released is incredible. And I cannot wait to listen to the whole thing in Justice League, the Snyder Cut. 
All right, very quickly here, Young Justice Season 4 is official, and it is titled Young Justice Phantoms. Now, is this alluding to the Phantom Zone, or even possibly another super team joining the show? I'm not sure, but I want to give my thoughts on Young Justice real quick. Season 1 was phenomenal. Season 2 was freaking killer. Season 2 of Young Justice is one of my all-time favorite animated TV show seasons. I mean, it just is. The stuff that they did in that season was great, and it, it the show beautifully toes the line of kid-friendly and adult-friendly. I actually tend to believe it leans towards more adult-friendly than it does kid-friendly, but it, but it brilliantly toes the line between both of them, and I would have no problem showing any of those episodes to my kids. I mean, the show really is for kids in general. Now, I think in season three, it took a turn, and it went way more towards the adult-friendly side. And I'm not so sure I'm the biggest fan of season three. At least the first half of it, I didn't quite like. Now, the second half was not quite as bad. Like, I feel like it did get better. And I do feel like that season three is still a good show. I just don't feel like it lived up to the hype of the first two seasons at all. So let's see if they can fix that with season four, Young Justice Phantoms. Wonder Girl and Donna Troy fans can rejoice because it would appear that she is going to be returning in Season 3 of Titans, and this pisses me off. Why? Why in the hell would you write Donna Troy out at the end of your grand Season 2 finale? It made absolutely no sense. Now if you bring her back in Season 3, you're going to make me ask, what the fuck are you doing, Titans? I mean, man, I really think Titans Season 2 took a huge step back in the writing room, like big time. I still love the show. I would still recommend the show to a lot of people. Do not get me wrong. But what they did with Donna Troy at the end of season two was atrocious. It was trash. And no matter what they do in season three, they will not be able to rectify that decision. I mean, it, I don't think that that was your choice the whole season. How could that be? How could you know that you were building up to getting rid of Donna Troy in season two and then do it in that fashion? It is ridiculous, it is asinine, and it really, really infuriates me. It almost ruined that whole season. Now, now, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of things in that season that I had a lot of problems with. Deathstroke not, not being one of them. That was a great, great, I, I loved that adaption of Deathstroke. But the way that they did Donna Troy in that season really disgusted me, because she is clearly one of the best characters in that show, period. So why would they even do that unless there was, you know what, it almost makes me think that, you know, the actress that plays her had some kind of contract negotiation with them and then like played hardball with them at the end and they're like, okay, well fine, we're just going to write you out. But they're like, but, but we got these new powers that Raven has now. So, you know, if we do work something out, we can bring her back. And I almost feel like that's what they're doing here. And that is just, that's insane to think about. There's so many things that they could have done with Donna Troy in that show if they wanted to get rid of her. She did not have to die for one. She really did not have to die. It did nothing for the team, in my opinion, that she died, that Dick had to make this big sacrifice with her because she died by a freaking light pole. Come on! Like, come on! Seriously? That's how... Like, she had taken... She had endured so much more before that happened. You're telling me some freaking electricity from a light pole kills her? Like... That's Wonder Girl's weakness? I mean, shit, I guess we all know how to kill Wonder Woman now, right? Just freaking hit her with a lamppost. My God. Man, it just it is just ridiculous to me. Now, these are the ways that they could do it. They could introduce the Lazarus Pits. 
and bring her back that way, and then you would have a deranged Wonder Girl storyline. Or, like I just mentioned before, they could bring her back using Raven and her newfound healing abilities. Now, that is much more likely, in my opinion, than the Lazarus Pit thing. I, I don't know. Either way, that can never be rectified. That can never be... That just you, you can never justify the decision to get rid of her like that at the end of Season 2. So, I am done with this story. Speaking of Titans and terrible season finales, Season 1 also had a terrible season finale, and not because the episode was terrible, but because it was not supposed to be the season finale. They had totally reworked it after they got greenlit for a season two, in my opinion, I believe that's what they did. And now, that is proven, as a new Titans image shows that Batman was actually supposed to team up with the two Robins during the original season one finale. Andrew Speranza, Titans prop maker, has shared a new photo on Instagram that shows more of the season one finale that could have been. The photo depicts Batman in full Callan costume, standing alongside the two Robins, more specifically Dick Grayson and Jason Todd. Now, you can check out that photo on Andrew Speranza's Instagram page, and I highly advise you to do so because it is a badass, badass photo. And it, uh, it, it actually says below, here is a rare shot of how the finale could have gone on season one of Titans. My Batman leading the way and his Batman design is incredible. I love that bat. I, I love that bat costume. I think it's great. Now, Speranza does not provide more context in this caption. It's likely that this image would have taken place during the trance Trigon puts Dick Grayson under. So I imagine that's exactly what this photo is from. And that would have been really Really cool to see, and it's just unfortunate that we're never going to see that road that they would have went down. And that will wrap up DC Weekly. On a sour note, I might add, I did not predict that when I first started this episode, so I apologize for that. I, I promise, guys, I, I swear to you, I do like Titans. I was just disgusted with the way that they wrapped up both Season 1 and 2. Now, not nearly as disgusted with the ending of Season 1. I, I, I understand that move, and I can live with it, and I can allow that. But Season 2, what they did with Donna Troy, I cannot allow. I do not allow that, Titans. I have spoken, and now I, I'm telling you right now, I do not allow it. So there. There you go. Change it. Get better. Come on. Up your game. Level up. Let's go, Titans. Let's go. Let's hit on the main event, Pop Culture Weekly. Ladies and gentlemen, the year of 2020 has been saved by the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda themselves. They have come in to save the day Thank the stars. They are going to totally, totally save the year of 2020. The worst year in human existence. The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer is here. Mando and Baby Yoda are back to save the day. Now, Ahsoka Tano cannot be seen in this trailer, unfortunately, but we do finally get to see Mando and Baby Yoda appear out of the darkness, more badass than ever in the beginning of this Season 2 trailer, where he goes... I go is my favorite line of this whole trailer. This is the way. Move along. This is the new way. We also see in the beginning of this trailer the classic Star Wars approaching spaceship shot, but with Mando's razor crest looking distinctly beaten up, limping forward. The visual is a really cool metaphor for the David versus Goliath battle that Mando faces in his mission to protect Baby Yoda, but there's no clue exactly how the Razor Crest becomes so badly damaged his ship. Uh, the ship is seen purring along nicely in other trailer scenes, and it was not damaged in the season one finale. So the introductory shot suggests that a big space battle that Mando and Baby Yoda just barely managed to fly away from happened. 
Do we get to see that or not? I'm not sure. Now, somewhat ominously, a later trailer scene depicts a flaming object careering towards the surface of a planet. Is that an asteroid, or could that be the Razor Crest crashing down? Now, we also get to hear a lot more from the Armorer and her mission. Emily Swallow's Armorer was a recurring figure in The Mandalorian Season 1, and while her familiar mask is not glimpsed in Season 2's trailer, her instantly recognizable voice can be heard, repeating her exchange with Mando from Season 1. The Armorer instructs her fellow Mandalorian to head out in search of the Jedi, enemy sorcerers, so that Baby Yoda can be with his own people. The repetition of this quote reinforces the overarching mission for The Mandalorian's protagonist pairing in Season 2, get Baby Yoda safely back home, wherever that may be. Now, interestingly, Mando's only lead in his quest appears to be the ancient Jedi the Armorer spoke of, potentially leading him to Ahsoka Tano or other Force users. So this is an awesome premise for the Mandalorian to be on the hunt for a Jedi in Season 2. Now, thanks to the efforts of Palpatine and the Sith, Jedi are few and far between at this point in the Star Wars timeline. Luke and Leia are somewhere out there, with the former looking to start his own ill-fated class of Jedi Knights, and Ahsoka Tano is also still alive. Now, with the fate of Ezra Bridger a mystery, Mando does not have many Jedi to look for, so any hopes of leaving Baby Yoda with the religious Force sensitives will be quickly dashed. Although she does not appear in the trailer, Ahsoka will most likely be the one to inform Mando and Baby Yoda that their quest for the Jedi is in vain. We also got a look at the Tusken Raiders here. We already saw them in official images that came out, but now we get to see them highlighted here in this trailer as the Mandalorian is headed back to Tatooine in Season 2. Now, this has been common knowledge for some time, but nevertheless, it's extremely exciting to see the Razor Crest, well, at least we think it's the Razor Crest, approaching Tatooine with a mounted Tusken Raider watching from atop a cliff. Now, it's not currently known why Mando would return to the famous Star Wars desert planet of Tatooine, but his presence will likely resolve Season 1's Boba Fett cliffhanger, as we can at least expect someone in the Boba Fett armor when the Mandalorian returns to Tatooine. Also, a lot of the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer takes place on an unidentified ice planet. Could this be Hoth? We're not sure. Now, the, the clips that we see in this trailer actually have a lot more in common with a lot of other ice planets in the Star Wars universe, but that does not mean that this is not Hoth, and that does not mean we are not returning to Hoth. I think if we do, that would be so, so awesome, and it really looks like the Razor Crest is going to take a rough landing getting here. So, I'll be very excited to see exactly where this location is. And then Sasha Banks makes her Star Wars debut. I mean, how crazy is that? Although the identity of the figure that she's playing remains unknown, the actress is WWE wrestler Sasha Banks. The casting of Banks was actually reported earlier this year when the WWE star began tweet sparring with Cara Dune actress and former UFC fighter Gina Carano, but Banks' character is still very much an enigma. The timing of her appearance in The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer coincides with the Armorer's lesson on Jedi history, suggesting that she could be aligned with the Jedi themselves, but others are actually speculating that Sasha is playing Sabine Wren instead. I don't think that's the case because it just doesn't look like Sabine Wren here, but I could be totally wrong. If they bring Sabine Wren here from Star Wars Rebels, I would lose my shit, guys. I would go nuts. But whoever the wrestler is going to be portraying, 
Banks is another exciting addition to The Mandalorian, who is already set up with a stellar cast in Season 2, even more so than Season 1. Another awesome part in this trailer, which is full of awesome parts, is we can see the Razor Crest flying along with X-Wing allies. Now, the New Republic had only a limited presence in the first season of The Mandalorian. While helping to spring a prisoner from captivity, Mando was betrayed by his accomplices and left at the New Republic's mercy, but the bounty hunter had his revenge by luring a team of X-Wings directly to the gang's base. Now, in The Mandalorian's second season, the New Republic and Mando have apparently come to somewhat of an understanding as one of these trailer scenes reveals the Razor Crest flanked by a pair of X-Wings. Mando doesn't seem duly concerned by their presence either, which would suggest that the two sides are now working together. It is possible that in his desperation to evade the Empire, Mando calls upon the authorities in the New Republic themselves. And then I loved seeing the Empire Stormtroopers, or First Order Stormtroopers at this point. Remember, we're really, really close to The Force Awakens. But rumors of the Empire's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Although the Battle of Endor was commonly considered the moment the Empire fell, the Star Wars sequels proved otherwise, replacing the iconic Return of the Jedi Clash with the Battle of Jakku. In The Mandalorian's first season, Moff Gideon led a small band of remnant forces, but the Empire looked back and better than ever in Season 2. A handful of TIE fighters are also shown, as well as stormtroopers on speeder bikes pursuing Mando over a rocky cliff face, which is so cool to see. But perhaps the most interesting moment is the shot of stormtroopers running through a hallway. Does this scene take place on Starkiller Base, or does this take place in the Star Destroyer that Esposito recently hinted at? Could it even be possible that these villains are no longer the dying embers of the Empire, but the emerging spark of the First Order? I, I don't know. I don't know, but it will be so cool to find out. I am just going insane over here waiting for this season to come. And who can forget Mando using his jetpack in season two in this trailer? It looked awesome. It looked so cool as he can be seen blasting off a cliff during the previously mentioned stormtrooper chase. And there is just no denying how cool the Mandalorian hero looks flying through the air, flames rocketing behind him. And then in the standout scene of the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer, Mando and Baby Yoda are taking in some kind of futuristic boxing match between two Gamorreans when fellow attendees start showing interest in the green youngster. Spoiling for a fight, the crowd descends on Mando, who reacts by opening his whistling bird missiles. Reading the room, Baby Yoda wisely closes his capsule and hunkers down until the kerfuffle is over, which made me laugh and had me in stitches. Now, moments like this prove why everyone fell in love with the character in the first place, but beyond the cuteness, the scene proves that nowhere is safe for this runaway duo. And that concluded the incredible Mandalorian Season 2 trailer. It was short, but it was worth every little second of it. It was awesome to see it. I am so happy Mando and Baby Yoda are back to save the day. Seriously, 2020 would have been completely and utterly doomed without them. You could probably argue that it's already completely and utterly doomed. But at least we have a chance, ladies and gentlemen, with Mando and Baby Yoda coming back. And I will rate The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer 5 Jedis out of 5. I say Jedis because hopefully we're going to get some here. 5 Jedis out of 5 here. And I am going to award it a prestigious Undie Award. Now, if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, 
Let me run down the rating system for you guys. My rating system on this show is completely in honor of my favorite TV show of all time, The Office. So, if I believe something is totally worth your time, you cannot miss it. It is one of the greatest things you can watch at the moment. I will award it a prestigious Undie Award. Think a Dundee Award from The Office that Michael Scott likes to give out, but an Undie Award for Pop Culture Underground instead. Now, if the show is just okay, or the movie or whatever we're rating, trailer in this case, if it is just okay, I will award it a Stanley. Now, I give things good Stanleys, and I give them bad Stanleys. If it's, like, trash, but it is still worth your time a little bit, I will give it a bad Stanley. But if it is something really good, but not quite awarding enough to get awarded an undie, I will give it a good Stanley. Now, if something is complete dog shit, trash, if you watch it, your eyes will be burned out of your sockets, I will give it a Toby. Now, if you do not watch The Office, get on that shit now. Now, right now. So the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer deserves and is awarded an undie. The only other trailer I have in what I like to call on this show the trailer park is the Dune trailer. Now, I do not know jack shit about Dune. I have never read the novels. The only thing I know about it is my grandpa loved it and he loved the game on PC. He played that game nonstop. I also know that the Dune movie that they made earlier in life was not very good, and a lot of people hated it. So, the only thing that I want to say about this trailer is those giant sandworms look incredible, and they look awesome, and I know a lot of people like them. So, I am actually going to rate the trailer four giant sandworms out of five. I actually did enjoy the trailer, and I think the movie does look cool. I love sci-fi movies, but I'm sorry, I just don't have the knowledge of Dune to really give you a good breakdown or a good review of this trailer. But I do think the cast of the film looks incredible, especially with Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista added to the fray here. So I do think this new Dune movie has a lot of potential, even though I do not know much about Dune, so maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, and I am sorry for that. But regardless, four giant sandworms out of five, I did like the trailer. It does excite me, and it gets me very intrigued for the world of Dune. And if you hear some weird noises, I apologize greatly. My son woke up early from his nap. I am the only one home right now, so he is sitting right here on my lap with me, and I seriously doubt he will say it, but Declan, you want to say hi? He just wants a hug. He just wants a hug. But I can tell you this, he knows his superheroes, he knows his Batman, he knows his Superman, he even knows his Deathstroke. How many two-year-old boys can you say that about? Yeah, didn't think so. And we are running out of time here on this episode since I dived so deeply into that fantastic and wonderful The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer. I I didn't know it was going to drop today, so I I had no plans on including that in this episode, which is why I'm going to have to very quickly scan over this. Raised by Wolves on HBO Max, I actually think has a ton of potential. I think the story is incredibly intriguing. I think the first episode was quite bland, but set up a very very good future for the show, a very good plot, a very, very rich world, a very interesting world, and man, the show just shits on religion left and right, but I do like the show. I am very intrigued by the show. I am very much into the show. I am going to give the show four androids out of five, straight up four out of five, and I am going to give it a good Stanley, a good Stanley for the Dune trailer and a good Stanley 
for Raised by Wolves on HBO, the first four episodes. The fourth episode really got deep into things. It's really making you question what Mother has done. And if you haven't watched the show, you have no clue what I'm talking about. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything. It just really makes you question exactly what she's done, what she's capable of doing, what she will do. I do love, love the differences between Mother and Father. And the type of android that Mother is has me incredibly and I have, I've said this enough already, but it has me incredibly intrigued for the future of this show and the future of this season also. So Raised by Wolves, I, I do recommend it. I recommend you give it at least two episodes. You, you should give every show at least three episodes before giving up on it, in my opinion. But I think Raised by Wolves will only take two because I think the end of episode one is going to dig its hooks into you and make you intrigued enough to check out the rest. And I think the, the other episodes will do the rest of the job. It's not perfect, it's not great, but it is very good. I I think so. I think it's very... I love sci-fi stuff, so so that alone is going to get me. But right there, four androids out of five for Raised by Wolves on HBO Max, and I will continue to watch it, and I do recommend it. But what I recommend even more is Class Action Park on HBO Max. It is phenomenal to see that. How in the hell was that park allowed to be in existence? It, it uh, Like, I was not alive in the 80s, okay? I'm only 28. I wish I was. Do not get me wrong. I wish, especially after watching Cobra Kai, it's like, man, can I go back in time and just be born in, like, the middle 70s so I could be, like, in my teen years in the 80s? Because that would have been great. And all of you that were, I envy you. Because time now, we are such pussies now, but don't get me started on that. I, I've been watching Cobra Kai recently, if you can't tell. <laughs> Well, let's hash brown it, guys. Let's let's hash hash brown popsy. Uh, anyways, so Class Action Park on HBO Max gets a solid, a solid five Alpine slides out of five. I really think that the the talking heads they included here with the comedians and actresses was a great addition to this, and I thought the the documentary balanced a very fine line, but brilliantly so, in showing you how awesome and nostalgic it is, but also how dangerous and terrible it really was. So it's like, it's very, it's very self-aware about what it was. And I think that's really, really cool. And I love how they ended the show with the parents that lost their son. I I thought that was really great and a good nod to them. And I think that was needed because that is a terrible, terrible story. And that park should have never been allowed to exist. But for the people that survived it, Man, I, I almost envy you. Almost. Not quite, but almost envy you. Almost. And kicking off the last few topics of the show and Pop C Weekly is the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild prequel is coming soon as Nintendo has announced Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity for the Nintendo Switch. Now, I love Zelda Breath of the Wild. It was, it was my debut introductory game for the Nintendo Switch, and it made me fall in love with the Nintendo Switch, and I play it every day now. That game is one of the greatest games ever created. Hands down, fight me on it. But a prequel to it, you know, I think it's cool, I think it's awesome, I think it is a cash grab, but I think it could be a cash grab that actually ends up being a good game, because those hundred years of the Battle of Hyrule that we we don't see take place in Breath of the Wild could be extremely fun to play. Now, with all prequels, of course, we know what's going to happen at the end, but I don't think that really matters here because I think it's going to be the gameplay and the ability to play these different characters themselves. 
it, it looks so much like Breath of the Wild. It's not even funny. It looks nothing like the Hyrule Warriors game that came before it. I, I mean, it kind of does, but it is much more in the class of Breath of the Wild in its art and its gameplay and everything. It just lo- it looks like Nintendo really gave them the nod to go ahead and do this and to use everything that they had at their disposal, whereas maybe with Hyrule Warriors, they did not have that. Of course, they had the permission to do it, but maybe Nintendo did not give them the tools to work with like I think they have here. So I think this could be an incredible prequel, and I cannot wait to pick this one up. Microsoft has finally revealed the Xbox Series S, which is the cheaper version of the Series X, but it actually goes further than that. We also got prices for the two systems. The Xbox Series X, the more powerful, bigger bad boy one, is going to come in at $499, while the Series S, the much, much smaller, 60% smaller, I might add, is going to come in at $299, making a very affordable option for a lot of people and making it actually possible for a lot of people to eventually get both a PS5 and an Xbox Series S. Uh, the, the series thing blows my mind. It's so stupid. But anyways, gives them the ability to possibly get both systems later on down the road. Now, I'm going to tell you the main differences between the $500 Xbox Series X and the $300 Xbox Series S. So they will both have an 8-core AMD Zen 2 CPU running at 3.8 gigahertz. They will both have an AMD RDNA 2 GPU, but this right here is where the two systems are going to start to differ. The Series X will have 12 teraflops of power, whereas the Series S will have 4 teraflops of power. Another difference is in the RAM. The Series X will have 16 gigabytes of RAM, but the Series S will only have 10. And the performance target, maybe the biggest difference that really matters to most people, is the Series X will come in at 4K at 60 frames per second up to 120 frames per second, whereas the Series S will only come in at 1440p at 60 frames per second, up to 120 frames per second as well. But that 1440p, it is higher than 1080p, but it is nowhere near 4K. Now, a lot of people may not care about that, and I think that is what Microsoft is counting on, that most of these people that don't care about 4K gaming will just opt for a $300 system, because I do not believe either of Sony's systems will be anywhere close to 300. I think we're looking at four and 500 for those two, but we will know that on the next episode of this show, I believe. Now, another difference is in the storage. The Series X will have a one terabyte SSD, whereas the Series S will only have a 512 gigabyte SSD. Now, the Series S will have most next-gen features, which is incredibly, incredibly impressive. I do believe that the Series S... It is very impressive. I I am very shocked that they are offering all of this at $300. I mean, if you really, truly think about it, the 12 to 4 teraflop difference, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because I don't think there's enough games out there that are really going to be able to take advantage of that 12 teraflops that the Series X is putting out. The PS5 doesn't even have that. So they're clocked at that already because of the PS5's solid-state drive and their GPU. So, you know, I'm not no technical genius here either, so please don't yell at me if I don't get any of these technical terms correct. 
But I do know enough, and I do believe that the Series S might actually just be worth picking up over the Series X. Now, of course, if you're a big-time gamer, and you got a 4K TV, and you want the best of the best, the Series X is going to be the way to go. It is far more powerful than the Series S, and it is also going to be far more powerful than PS5's console. But PS5 has a lot of features that the Series X will not have, the adaptive triggers being the main selling point for me. I think the ability to feel the tension on your bow when you're pulling it back, like on Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden West, it's going to be on the PS5. I think that is going to be a game changer. I think those haptic feedback triggers are going to be huge for the PS5, and it's really unfortunate that Xbox doesn't have anything like that. I, I think Xbox is going to get knocked behind here. Uh, the only thing, I mean, when Halo Infinite got delayed, I was like, oh no, that is it. For the, for the new Xbox. It has no chance against the PS5 now. The only chance it's going to have is if they have way more consoles out at launch than the PS5 will because it looks like the PS5 is going to be very, very short on their production side and it's looking like it's going to be very difficult to even get one at launch. You're probably going to have to pre-order it and even then you're not guaranteed one, especially after the news hit today that they're also going to lose 5 million more consoles at launch between now and March because of a chip issue, a computer chip issue. I mean, that's insane. There's also rumor that Sony is going to be flying these systems in by charter plane instead of the normal shipping method, which that's, that's going to cost Sony so much money. So I don't know if Sony can bite the bullet and match Microsoft on this price point. I don't know that they really need to, to tell you the truth. I hope they do. I pray they do because I plan on getting a PS5 digital edition, digital edition myself just because of all the features that it has, even though its GPU is not going to be as powerful as the Series X will. And I've always been a Microsoft guy, an Xbox guy, so that should tell you something right there. But it's really the games. It's the games, man. It's all about the games. And Sony owns Microsoft and Xbox in that aspect, and they continue to do so. And I think with the delay of Halo Infinite, Microsoft and Xbox are going to get knocked behind the line right out of the gate. I think Sony is going to hit it running. They're going to have more exclusive games at launch. They're going to have more games at launch, it looks like. And they just have more features that players are going to be interested in. The only thing that the Series X really has for it is maybe the quicker, the seamless transition between games. Like, you can just seamlessly go from one game to another, to another, to another, to another with no loading screens, or, or like a two-second loading screen. But it looks like the PS5 is going to virtually be the same exact thing, and they've got features like the, hap like the haptic feedback. It, it, it's, man, I just, Sony is just killing Xbox, in my opinion. And, and I think they're going to continue to do so in the next generation. And it's really unfortunate, because... Microsoft looks like they're going to have the better system with the Series X. I mean, it won the most looked forward to technology just not too long ago over the PS5. So it's like, man, the technology that they have and what they're putting in that tower is very impressive. But if you don't have the games to take advantage of that right out of the gate, what are you doing it for? I, I don't know. I could be proven wrong, but I myself am looking at getting a PS5 digital edition if it's $400 or, you know, like $350, $400. If it's $500 to $600, I'm not sure. I might just go with the Series S here. And I think that right there is what Microsoft is counting on. But if Sony comes out with a $400 digital system, I think it is over for Microsoft out of the beginning. They can catch up, of course, always. I just don't see it. And to wrap this episode up, the Black Ops Cold War multiplayer gameplay was revealed. Here's my take on it. I I'm not sure how I feel about this. It, really, it looks to me like it's just Modern Warfare 
with Black Ops style wording, Black Ops weapons, and Black Ops maps. I think everything else is just Modern Warfare patched over. Now that could be a good thing. There's a ton of things about Modern Warfare that I love, but there's also a few things that I hate. They did not reveal if they're going to have a prestige uh, progression system or not, and that's very unfortunate. I think that they will. I don't think they did, but I think the fan feedback from them possibly not having the prestige system is going to force them to put it in. When they did the alpha for the uh, the pro players and whatnot, they locked them at level one and did not. They, they only unlocked things that they wanted them to see. They did not let them level up in any kind of way. Whereas in Modern Warfare, they did. They give them, like, I was listening to a guy talk about Charlie Intel on Twitter and, and his new podcast. He talked about how they gave them, like, quadruple XP points and stuff just to get them to unlock everything to experience it all. And that is not the case with Black Ops Cold War here, which is kind of concerning. I, I don't like how close it is to Modern Warfare. I did get some Black Ops 2 vibes, which makes me very happy because Black Ops 2 is my favorite game in the Black Ops series. That's kind of an unpopular take, but but it just is. So that's cool. But I think it was much more akin to Modern Warfare than it was any of the Black Ops games. And I think that's very relevant through the multiplayer trailer. Now, I do love that they're bringing vehicles in. They're finally doing it. Are they going to do it with all multiplayer modes? Probably not, which is fine with me. I think you should do it in two different modes. You got to bring Prestige back and adding these vehicles. I think you could have a good game here. Now, it almost makes me wonder if COVID kind of ruined things and made them go, well, we don't have the time to finish up most of the things we were working on. Maybe we're just going to have to patch over a bunch of stuff from Modern Warfare and they just kind of, you know, do a makeover on it in Black Ops style. Because that's kind of what looks like happened here, and the graphics do not look good. Now, remember, this is an alpha. The game's not completely finished yet, but it's got to be close enough, right? I mean, this game's coming out in early November. It's got to be close to being done. So I'm a little concerned that the graphics aren't going to be up to par to Modern Warfare, However, I'm still excited for a new Call of Duty game. I will always be a hardcore Call of Duty fan, and Black Ops have been my favorite series of the entire franchise, as as has most as it's been most people's favorite. So I'm very excited to get another Black Ops game, especially set in the Cold War era. I think that offers so many different routes and so many different takes that you can do, especially when it comes to Warzone. Like, I really do believe that they're going to switch out the scavenger missions and all that that you do in Warzone. Now, those will probably become Black Ops missions uh, that, you know, deniable operations, they call them. So, you know, it's just easy things that they can switch out where it's not going to require a whole lot of work. But then again, Treyarch has had, what, three years to work on this game? I could be wrong about that, but I think about three years? So how could they have not created a whole new game? I, I don't know. It's just Call of Duty, they finally took a step forward by revamping and changing things with Modern Warfare, in my opinion, and when they went back to boots on the ground with uh, Black Ops 4 and and uh, World War II. I loved World War II. Black Ops 4, not so much. But overall, I did enjoy the multiplayer reveal. I wasn't, like, crazy about it or anything like I was predicting I would be. But overall, I I'm very excited to get into another Black Ops game, to get an a new Call of Duty game, and I I'm just excited about it. I mean, no matter what, I'm excited about the game. I I'm hoping that they come out with some things that kind of get us more excited and more hyped for it and show us, look, there's a lot more to this than maybe you, you saw, but... Part of me thinks that what we saw is just what we're going to get, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Remember, it's just a trailer, and it's just what we're hearing from people that are playing an alpha build of the game. So this game could be completely different and way better than we even think. Hopefully, that is the case.
And that is going to do it for this crazy, bizarre, long episode of Popsy Underground. I mean, it was crazy. We had ice cream trucks driving by. We had dudes from the late 90s, early 2000s driving by with their bass systems all loud and shit. We had my son waking up and acting all weird and wanting hugs and join, you know, getting on my lap here at the end of the show. It just got nuts. And I'm sorry, the production value probably sucks for this episode. But you know what? Production value isn't always everything, right? Sometimes it's the good old raw stuff that gets you going. You know what I'm saying? God, that sounded terrible. Let's wrap this up, guys. Hey, if you enjoyed this show, please like and subscribe and review the show on, uh, on I, I keep wanting to say iTunes, but it's Apple Podcasts now. Please go leave a review. Need reviews? Need to get the word out there some more? We're not even 10 episodes deep, but man, the following and the feedback I've had so far for the show, outstanding. Thank you so much for letting me know what you think. I do put a lot of work. I put a ton of energy and all of my passion into what I do here. So it really, really makes me feel good to hear that people are enjoying it and people are listening to it. And there already is a steady listener base with the show. That is great. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for recommending it to your friends if you did so. If you were crazy enough to do so, right? Thank you. Just thank you all around. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the content here. I hope you enjoyed the Mandalorian trailer as much as I did because, man, we needed that. And boy, do we need the Mandalorian Season 2. We need it. It's coming. It's going to save the day. It's going to make 2020 maybe not worth it, but close to that, right? All right, guys. Once again, thank you so much for hitting up the underground and listening to all of this. If you want more of my takes, reviews, all of that good stuff, you can get that on social media, on all aspects of social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at Pop C Underground. And don't forget to email the show if you would like to at popcunderground at gmail.com. I do have a couple emails. I will get to them in the next episode because we are completely out of time. So thank you for listening. Go subscribe. Go review. Go follow me on social media. Whatever the hell you want to do. The world's yours. Do what you want. But I know what I'll be doing. I will be seeing all of you on the very next episode. Hopefully. All right, guys. Later. Later.